0: You know, uh, here we go. Where is everybody? Jill?
1: <laughs>
2: Jill Sierra.
1: Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
2: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
1: A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave.
3: Do we have any sort of... Canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front. Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny.
1: Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program, the finest variety program in the world. I'm Josh Holmes, along with Comfortably Smug and Michael Duncan. And we are getting into another big week, fellas.
2: I mean, first off, that's hilarious. It's yet another Biden moment of where, like, he's sent to a podium and you know all his aides are like, please, God. Please, God, just just be normal. <laughs> and he's like, where is everybody? He's, Jill, yeah, he's like,
0: he's like, he needs emotional support in case he has a senior moment. <laughs> it's shocking. hello, uh,
1: Hello. Hello. Where is everyone? Well, the funniest thing about yesterday was that they put him out on multiple occasions. Each one was a complete disaster. Yeah. He tried to do the, the infrastructure sort of like a celebration. Right. And... and I don't know if you all saw we are going to have sound later in the show. But, I mean, literally from top to bottom, this thing was a disaster.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, it hit all the perfect themes of Dems in disarray. Biden doesn't know where he is. Uh, the Kamala loyalists are at war with the White House, and the White House is at war <laughs> with the Kamala loyalists. It's everything. Everything was going on.
1: Everything was going on. They can't get anything right. Um well, listen, we had a big week last week. We want to thank everybody for the very kind words about our interview with Bob Dole. It was, uh, for us, it was an absolute pleasure. I was really grat- gratified. Uh, let see if I can say that. <laughs> I was really gratified by the response of people, not only the people who know Bob Dole and know his story and, and everything, but those who didn't. Right. And we're able to hear him in his own words and, and the summation of... Uh, what has been an incredible career?
2: Yeah, it was the perfect way to honor Veterans Day.
1: Uh, I
2: mean, he, he's had an incredible life, and we're, we were so fortunate to be able to have that. I mean,
1: yeah, amazing. Yeah, an, an incredible deal. But now we're back, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to make fun of things. And uh, let's read a couple reviews out of the Bob Dole special, and then we're going to get right into it.
2: Uh, first one is from Mr. Mitch M three. It says the interview with Senator Bob Dole was priceless. He is an absolute American hero. And at 98 continues to help lead the country. A real banger of an episode. Thank you so much.
1: The, uh, the second one is name unpronounceable. Yeah. I don't know how to say that. B fact. B Yeah. Yeah. Don't know about the name, but love the thought it's, uh, veggies for thought candy for entertainment This is hands down the best political podcast out there. The fellows are incredibly insightful, have fantastic guests, break down the political world in an honest way, and feed you a little candy every once in a while. The only thing that make the show better would be more of it. Twice a week has me dying. Love the program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that one. Um, One more here from C. Huffeth. 84 c huff lth lth 84 i started listening to ruthless while in the trenches of the nrsc deployment in georgia a year ago i was in a bit of a funk that lasted into the new year because of the results of the 2020 election and the feeling that conservatives were hopelessly divided i can say without reservation that ruthless was the chicken soup for the conservative soul that has me more fired up than ever to wake up every day to move the ball forward Through humor, insight, and encouragement, to cyber bully Duncan into pushing the internet button, (laughs) the program brightens all uh, brightens at least two, if not three, of my days in a week. Smug, keep up the base China segments. Duncan, keep up the rages. Holmes, keep up uh, the touch of Midwest. Nice, and thanks to the program. Keep the faith conservatives.
1: I love that. That's so great. We love, keep those things coming, man. They really do fuel us. And uh, and I know I speak for the fellows and I say we appreciate it greatly more than you'll ever know. Um, we got a great guest today. It's uh, Catalina Lauf. Yes. She's a congressional candidate in Illinois and they're still drawing lines. So we have to figure out exactly where, but she, the reason we were talking to her initially is because she was the primary challenger to Adam Kinzinger. Yeah. And uh, so we lined up this interview, and then Adam, Adam Kinzinger decided he no longer wanted to be a candidate. Oh, no. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry about that, but good news for Catalina. Uh, she's going to find a district there, I know it, and you're going to love the interview. She was great.
0: Yeah, I, I love um, an interview with a congressional candidate where we don't know the district yet. It's a little bit like in, in football when a player comes out of college and they're just listed as athlete. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I don't know what position they're gonna be playing, but we're gonna find a spot on the roster. They're good enough
1: to know right? we're gonna be somewhere. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. All right, so look, let's get into this. Um we have talked a lot of on the program about how the coastal elites that are sort of epitomized by this administration and the democratic majorities actually do hate you.
2: Yeah. And it it shows how much they are out of touch with the public, uh, with the problems that Americans are facing, with the struggles that they have right now, whether with inflation, supply chain disaster, all of it, uh, they, they, they just don't care and, and and they hate anyone who speaks out or thinks differently than them.
1: And you can see it from the podium, the sort of disdain that this administration has for the concerns that people have across this country. Yep. Um, here, this is from Bloomberg Opinion uh, over the weekend. Suddenly, Americans can't spend like they used to. Store shelves are emptying. It can take months to find a car, refrigerate or or get a sofa. If it continues, we may need to gasp, live more like the Europeans. That actually might not be a bad thing, (laughs) says this author.
2: And I mean, they give they give the game away. That's the build back better. This is
1: what they're. This is this is what they. We've said this right from the very beginning. By the way, yes. And, and I remember when I worked for McConnell back in the in the early 2010s he always said if you need to know what's at deep in the heart of the progressive agenda it's that they want you to become Western Europe yes that, that that's that's basically if you look at what they do in Western Europe that's what they want right uh,
0: I mean they embrace American decline like they they look forward to it
1: that's
2: lower their goal. expectations Washington <laughs> Post Some right lower expectations.
1: I mean it, it, it's it's going on and on and all of the concerns that people have are summarily dismissed the subheader of this piece supply chain shortages are constraining us consumers and endless appetite for buying whatever they want whenever they want and it's about time
2: it's incredible it's so weird it's I don't understand it is a very weird thing it's
1: just so weird like it's one thing and you know
0: we live in the DC area and so, you know, these sort of like people are our neighbors. They're people who live in the same city as as we do. But like what I don't understand is how can you be this like have this big of a blind spot for what regular people have to deal with every day. Like it's one thing to be insulated from a lot of these costs of inflation and stuff and, and be wealthy and live in a, in a major metropolitan area. It's a whole nother thing to to be that way. And then also have this huge blind spot for the way things work for most people.
1: Yeah. Like I, I I don't get that. Well, I think it comes rooted and some of this is my Midwestern bias, but it comes rooted when you surround yourself entirely with wealthy elite Right, that see the world one way, and to be honest, like a ten percent increase in like groceries right. doesn't matter when you live like that, right? Right, but like if you go anywhere outside of the coasts and anywhere outside of at least elitist, elitist sort of wealthy enclaves, it makes a huge freaking difference. Like, since here's a stat: this was from Market Watch. Since January, the national median rent. Has skyrocketed sixteen point four percent, according to data from apartment lists. Comparatively, rent growth from January to October has averaged three point two percent in years twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen.
2: I mean, that's the thing. That's a hundred percent. The issue is okay. So, all the folks in this administration they're they're all Ivy League, well off. All the folks that now are on the left wing organizations, the mainstream media, uh, like Stephanie Rule, was was a derivatives. Uh, a salesperson at a big bank and she's she's like oh you know actually inflation isn't that bad do we have do you have the audio and the dirty little secret here willie while nobody likes to pay more on average we have the money to do so household savings hit a
0: record high over the pandemic we didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend and as we said
1: a moment ago we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records for those who own their homes the value of our homes are up so let me hold on let me let me just stop this what you're talking about is somebody who spent the entire pandemic doing nothing different than they do every single day, albeit not able to socialize quite as frequently as they prefer. Yeah. Right. The only concern that Stephanie Rule had during a year where everybody's jobs, livelihoods, school, everything was ripped away from them, was that she had to entertain a Zoom call. Right. Right? I mean, this is the only thing that's the only thing that she can identify with. And she's saying it out loud. She's saying You know, we didn't have anything to spend all of our money on. She's
2: like, oh, and, you know, for everyone who owns our homes, housing, you know, values went up. That completely goes right in the face of the fact that we had before where rents have skyrocketed 16.4%. She's like, listen, the assets that I own have to be appreciated. Yeah,
0: we have appreciated assets. And I don't have to buy gas because I live in a major city. (laughs) You know, I don't have to drive 20, 30 miles to work. And I you know, so I'm insulated from the inflation as it relates to gasoline prices. And you know, I mean, yeah, life's been good for me. I own my house. Yeah, you I mean, might rent your house and and, and, and rent might be up sixteen percent, but that doesn't impact me.
1: <laughs> well, your biggest concern is like theater tickets. Right. You know, this all doesn't seem like a very big yeah. deal. She's like,
2: I have to put my vacations on pause. Thank God I own appreciating assets and don't <laughs> care if grocery prices go up. It's great to be a millionaire on TV. I
1: nearly had to list my beach house on VRBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, just a nightmare.
0: Yeah, we're all in this together.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's we're, right. we're all in this together. <laughs> right. Until
0: the second that, they, that a Democrat is president... And, you know, his approvals in the fucking toilet. <laughs> then suddenly it's like the average American's the problem. They don't get it.
1: They don't get it. And they ju- they should suck it up. Yeah. They should suck it up and not not get what they're used to getting. Because that's the way America should run.
2: And that, and, and so it continues. The, the We have a CNBC article which says that Thanksgiving dinner is going to be more expensive this year thanks to inflation. The expected increase will be a shock to many households already feeling the pressure of higher prices. There's a quote... Uh, just the cost of metal to put cranberries into a tin can has gone up, says Kurt Covington, Senior Director of Institutional Credit at AgAmerica. It's across the board, and it's going to take the supply chain well past Thanksgiving and Christmas to get back to normal.
1: Incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's just, it's, it's everywhere, right? And they just continue, continue to message against it. They, can, they are trying to convince the American people not to believe their own eyes
2: that's the thing it's right. like you'll see and, I, and I've, I've invited tons of people you know if you see any photos that folks are posting of going to the store sh- uh, the shelves are empty the prices are insane uh, you know send them my way I'll be sure to make sure folks see this and and meanwhile the media like there was this tweet from Brian Stelter where he was like uh, took my two year old to the grocery store today and they said they were amazed that we can choose so many different things to eat like that's such a perfect example Crazy. exact example
1: it, but it's, I don't like to your point earlier, Duncan, that it's yeah. so weird. Like, my entire life has been about trying to project confidence in a better future for America. Right. That is the rule of politics. Right. Right. What we are trying to achieve collectively, we disagree on methods on how to get there, but everybody has been trying to achieve a better life for us and the next generation of Americans. We all agreed. Right. That's not what these guys are saying. No, it's it's they constantly have to counter message against
0: reality It's the exact same thing that they did in 2020 when there were riots all across this country yep. and people were setting buildings on it's fire. Fiery, but mostly and then mostly peaceful. Protests. Right. And then what did you have? You had people in the media being like, oh, well, I was downtown in D.C. today. And then there was no violence. I felt there was, quite safe. I felt quite safe. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're like fucking corner of Farragut <laughs> might not be on fire. But like, what, am I supposed to believe you or my lion lying eyes? If I live in one of these communities across the country, like, oh, because Brian Stelter t- took a picture of some milk and the shelves were full, then I'm not experiencing it. You solve the fucking
1: problem. But, 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 and, but when did we start measuring us against third world countries? Right. Like, when did it become, oh, we have it so good because we actually have milk and bread. Are you kidding me? No, I mean literally, I can no. I, I literally can't believe it. I mean, this is this is like the core argument against communism. What what allowed us to prevail over over the Soviets?
2: And it, and it tells you how detached these people are from the circumstances of everyday Americans when they don't experience going to the grocery store. You grab that circular as you're walking in, and it says, like in large letters across the top, "Please only purchase the items you need." for the next few days so your neighbors can also purchase things they may need. Like this is America. This is It did not take long for right. a build back better to be like Venezuela. <laughs> we're like
0: we're like approaching the like the the media being like, "You know, Breadline's actually they built community solidarity." Yeah. No, they yeah. I know? think I saw something on that. I mean, I'm not we, even joking. They are very close to giving away what their real intentions are here.
1: Oh, man, and then and then, you know, you might have to be entirely dependent on the government. Right. Oh, wait! They'd prefer that. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. Funny how that works. Amazing how it comes full circle. Well, you know, look, they got a lot of problems, but I, we would be remiss if we didn't, as a program, take a victory lap, fellas. Yes,
2: a well-deserved one.
1: And that is a victory lap about Kamala and Veeper Veep. Yes. She has, I think, entered the public consciousness in a way that we in the program and the minions and the listeners of the program have well understood here for many, many months. Yeah, we've been talking about this for months.
0: And finally now, uh, it's starting to get a little more ink. You know, not not just her gaffes and her inability to do anything, but also this sort of wedge between her and, and the rest of the Biden administration.
1: So I want to set up a couple of things, a couple of audio pieces here. First, there's a CNN article that we're about to go through that, that tells you, everything about the dysfunction of Kamala Harris, the VP, that's relation to the White House, the problems they're having internally. So all of this has now become public consciousness in a way that only the program listeners have understood up until this point. Then tomorrow happens. Let's get the audio from what she had yesterday yep. in in this infrastructure press conference.
0: Please welcome Heather Kurtenbach.
3: In a moment.
2: (laughs) Please have a seat. See, I I love that, like, okay, they can She literally gets forgotten in the White House. Yeah, they they say the wrong name to introduce her, and she's got to be paranoid, like, are are these people messing with me on purpose? Is this Biden people stabbing at me? She's paranoid. She can't trust anyone, and and with good reason.
1: So this is is why this setup was important, because the CNN article went through all of the exasperation and dysfunction, as CNS calls it, inside Kamala Harris's frustrating start as vice president. And the entire article is predicated on the fact that she's in the dumps. Right. Right? That she she's not helping the administration. She's woefully unpopular. She thinks that the White House is actually undercutting her, which they may be. And, y- and we've talked about this on the program. They've given her all the bad assignments. I think Borders are.
2: I think I might <laughs> drop a bit of a scoop here. This might... Uh, I, I've kind of hinted at this before. I've mentioned it to folks. I I speak to a bunch of Democrat operatives, you know, as well as Republican operatives. Right now. And uh, I, I can tell you from a lot of the folks that I've spoken with who work in this White House, they don't care for Kamala at all. Uh, <laughs> these are people who are more focused on, you know, the, the Biden work, which is what most of the White House does. It's a very small group of loyalists that Kamala has. And I've spoken with some Kamala folks who just don't care. The Biden administration. I've heard, I've heard it uh, f- from from the Biden team. I've heard this, you know, directly from folks in both camps that they don't care for the others, and it's gotten to the point that even when the mainstream media is finally reporting on it, like we've been telling folks for months, yeah, all all the problems that they've got going on there.
1: Well, you recall yesterday, or I, I should say last Tuesday, we talked about the way that they treat Buttigieg, yep. right. in comparison to Kamala, gives you a good view of internally the politics at play there. But CNN is now on this. Yeah, the, the lead here is worn out by what they see
0: as entrenched dysfunction and lack of focus. Key West Wing aides have largely thrown up their hands as at Vice President Kamala Harris and her staff, deciding there simply isn't time to deal with them right now, <laughs> especially at a moment when President Joe Biden faces quickly multiplying legislative and political concerns. <laughs>
1: I mean, you can read this whole thing. Few of the insiders who spoke to CNN think she's being well, or think that she's being well prepared for which, role it will be. Harris is struggling with a rocky relationship with some parts of the White House, while longtime supporters feel abandoned and see no coherent public sense of what she's done. Or trying to do as vice president,
2: I, I, I thought this was really this is really hilarious. This part says: a week and a half ago, as Biden, his aides, and multiple outside allies rattled through calls all day trying to lock down wavering lawmakers ahead of the House infrastructure vote, Harris spent the afternoon touring a NASA space <laughs> flight center in suburban Maryland. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're like, oh, just uh, send her to NASA. It's like something.
0: the Veep episode when they send her
1: to to eat the ice cream.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: So, so but, but here's the thing. The problem is they do need to keep sending her places because right. she's the vice president, right? But here's what happens when she does. We have this audio. With us in government, we campaign with the plan. <laughs> uppercase T, uppercase P. The plan.
3: And then the environment is such that we're expected to defend the plan. Even when the first time we roll it out, there may be some glitches and it's time to
1: reevaluate. What you had there was Vice President Kamala Harris visiting a group of French scientists trying to retrofit her accent into a French accent while discussing a plan. Of, of what I don't know. The
0: plan is like an abstraction, which, you know, if you're ever talking to people who English isn't their first language, there is going to be some sort of language barrier. <laughs> it's not always good to try to speak in abstraction because they're not going to get the nuance to what you're saying. So the whole thing is just super awkward outside of the accent alone, which is super fucking weird. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, she cannot help herself. It's just the weirdest person to ever be vice president it's, it's,
2: it's funny because it kind of reminds me of the time that hillary Clinton that's what i was gonna say to do the fake accent and then it's just like it's we got another hillary she's got a likability problem she's always weird in public she doesn't like people it's clear she doesn't like people she doesn't like dealing with people and what i really like is is, is the actual core of what she's trying to express there and she's like oh man this sucks people expect their official their, you know elected officials to keep their promises so you know sometimes the plan's got a glitch it's not our fault we're the ones who came up with it <laughs>
0: I just love I just love that they made her border Czar a no-win job that she couldn't actually actually succeed at. Right? They send her to NASA as they're putting together the votes for like this signature piece of legislation. And then Joe Biden goes and cropped us half of Europe with his <laughs> fart that they're still talking about. And then they send her over there to walk in the wake of it. Like <laughs>
1: like she has the worst job. The worst job. So so continuing on CNN She's perceived to be in such a weak position that top Democrats inside and outside of Washington have begun to speculate privately, asking each other why the white house has allowed her to become so hobbled in public consciousness, at least as they see it. What are they going to do? Honestly, here's the, here's the dilemma that the white house has. Obviously smug is right that they don't care a lot about Kamala Harris, but what are you going to do to change that? Because every time they put her out anywhere, an abject catastrophe ensues.
2: I mean, that's the thing is that's 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 the whole issue that they're facing. It's a catch twenty two. You know, it's like uh, her folks are going to complain in the press that the White House doesn't defend her enough. Meanwhile, anytime they do let her out, she makes a fool of herself. And which the, you know, the irony is, every time they let Biden out, he makes an idiot of himself too. So it's like, what are we doing here?
1: They they literally do not have principles that can get them out of the ditch. Nope. Right. We've talked a lot about this previously, but in politics, you go through rough patches. It just happens, right? It's the environment that you can't control. In this case, they control many of the rough patches they've put themselves in. Yes. But your only way out of it is the power of a candidate or the power of, of an office holder and their ability to convince people they're getting right back on the on the right path. This White House is uniquely, I mean uniquely, unable to. They don't have a single messenger who is anywhere near convincing at anything right and she's the worst and she's the worst and I, I gotta tell you guys
0: i'm a little i'm concerned about this story because i'm worried that like we are manifesting stuff <laughs> now that we talk about stuff like this long enough and then it like happens i'm i'm very concerned about our power to manifest things it's incredible <laughs> because like here, reality is being bent to our will this is my favorite favorite part of the entire thing Uh, and listeners of the Variety Program will immediately get why it's uh, in brackets Harris staff uh, this is uh, bat down (laughs) the Aaron Sorkin style rumor that Biden might try to replace her by nominating her to a Supreme Court vacancy
2: (laughs) (laughs) there we go West You'll Wing rise. has done so much damage to the brain of Libs. Like, I know. This is insane.
1: <laughs> but that's where it's gotten, right? I mean, they can't put her in charge of anything. Now they're trying to figure out a reasonable off-ramp. They have to consult the Sorkin scripting. Yeah. Right. Like, what, would Sor- do it.
2: what would West Wing do?
1: <laughs> but like, look, there's a tangible example of one of their issues here. Did you all read that Mitch Landrew, former mayor of New Orleans, has been hired basically by the Biden administration to be the infrastructure bills are well huh.
2: i mean i think that further goes to how terrible a job mayor pete has been doing managing the infrastructure of this country four trillion dollar infrastructure of this country under the mayor of south bend and uh he who hasn't even shown up to work and uh i mean there's like, a- well look he can't get the job Was bringing bring in mitch landrew which is like you spent the past uh how many days defending mayor pete as like Oh, no, he's got things under control. Also, we have an infrastructure czar now.
0: <laughs> I, I do love that Mayor Pete managed to outsource his own job. It's incredible.
1: That is a great move. <laughs> totally great. It's so true. But here's the thing like, there's a multi billion dollar department, a cabinet level department that is in charge of this, not in charge of the signature achievement in infrastructure and infrastructure. It,
2: right. and, and it's great because, uh, you know, some of the Kamala loyalists had cited the way that the white house came to the defense of pete you know when when he was like why hasn't this guy shown up for months he did show up in chicago the same day the like mayor pete movie is (laughs) the documentary the documentary is screening um but they're like, why didn't why didn't the White House defend us? And it's like, you know, why? It's because the Biden people hate you, Kamala people. And they know that all you people hate the Biden people. And that's just how it is. And like all the rumors of like Biden is so incredibly unpopular. Is he even going to run again? Who would the nominee be? Should it be you know Kamala by default? I mean, I think even her like most ardent loyalists can see. It, it, it's probably not going to be Kamala and, and Mayor Pete's trying to leapfrog you. Like, you, you got to be, you can't be that dumb that That's you don't happening. see what's happening.
1: That's happening. But I think it's really damning when this administration, they truly believe, if you look at all their quotes on the record and off, they truly believe that they're going to be able to restore the, the, the public confidence in this administration with this bipartisan infrastructure bill, right? But instead of having the person who's the most notable cabinet member in Mayor Pete who it resides within his department in charge of it, and instead of the vice president of the United States being in charge of it, they go find a, a guy who's not been, a, first of all, like a mayor, but he hasn't been mayor in years, and put him in charge of it.
0: I mean, I think it speaks to not only their lack of confidence in Kamala and in Pete, but like a lack of confidence in the bill itself. Because if it was going to be an absolute slam dunk, you'd want to give it to Kamala or to Pete.
1: Yeah, to restore what, them. Right? Yeah. You can't do it. Mm.
2: And, and what's So to me, the icing on this cake of, of disasters is Jen Psaki has to go out. This is like after 9 o'clock on a <laughs> Sunday night. Goes out and tweets, for anyone who needs to hear it, at VP is not only a vital partner to POTUS, but a bold leader who has taken on key important challenges facing the country, from voting rights to addressing root causes of migration to expanding broadband. <laughs> like... How bad must things be in there that they're like at nine o'clock? They're like, man, just just get Saki to tweet Sacky, something.
1: Saki, please just tweet something. Yeah,
2: like it must be tense. <laughs> it must be tense in there. It's like a, a boiler room. They're like the the tensions in between these two camps has been going like boiling for so long. It, it was only a matter of time when like CNN is now talking about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. And you know, look if you look at the twitters. The progressive activists all chalk this up to racism and sexism. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> right, it's all because everybody's racist and sexist that uh, Kamala sucks so bad.
0: The 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 country that made her vice president is now racist and sexist. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and it's great because you also see the other takes, which uh, I can't remember which activist had this take where he was like, "Wow, they're really going to let Mayor Pete leapfrog Kamala. White males keep succeeding." <laughs> That's the issue here. And Kamala, you know, your camp, I know you listen to this show. You should use that as a dagger. Go after Mayor Pete's people.
1: Do that. Yeah. Go, go Let's after take him. the gloves That's off. the only way to Let's survive. get this thing real.
2: You got to go on offense.
1: You know, you might as well entertain us. You're not doing anything at rest for the country.
2: Yeah. yeah. and I mean, the disaster for them is 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 so much more than just their infighting. It's It's their poll numbers. I mean, these numbers, they continue to get worse.
1: The biggest thing that I've seen in a long time, and we cover a lot of polling here on the program, ABC, Washington Post, obviously no, uh, no, not a conservative poll. I can, just, I can just say that. Yeah. The largest lead for Republicans in the generic ballot in 40 years of polling. <laughs> it's the largest lead in history. They have a 51% Republican generic ballot to a 41% Democratic generic ballot. It's a
0: It's incredible. Um, A a tweet here. Um, In these states, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Biden's overall job approval rating is 33%. compared to 43% elsewhere.
1: I wonder what's going on in Arizona, Florida, oh. Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Might there year. be some Senate races? They, it, You know what? They all have competitive Senate races. <laughs> that is something. Let's go. Oh, man. It's it's incredible. They've, so the poll goes on and on. It talks about all this stuff. You know, the, the one that stuck out uh, to me on the economy, with inflation soaring 70 70% say the economy is in bad shape.
2: Wow, 70%. 70. And and uh just 31% say that Biden's keeping most of his major campaign promises. 35% say uh think he uh, was to say think he's accomplished anything at all. Um <laughs> that's something else. Uh and and right here it says do while just half blame Biden directly for inflation. It's worse in 31 years. His approval for handling the economy overall is down to 39%. That's all six points since just September and 13 points from last spring.
1: I mean, you remember the old Carville line, it's the economy, stupid? Right. Well, if it's the economy, stupid, then they, they know who stupid is. Well, right. It's like, you know, they don't have to
0: blame Biden for the inflation or a bad, you know, economic recovery for them to vote against Democrats who have unified control Washington. Right. Like at the end of the day, when they go to the polling booth in the midterms, like they're going to blame who's in charge.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, in this case, it's an easier track to follow because, you know, a lot of times you're talking about abstract economic policy that doesn't affect everybody. Right. And you're just kind of in a, in a argument with the other side. In this case, they've they've spent more than's ever been spent in the history of this republic because they believe that flushing the cash into the economy was the way out of it. Instead, what they got was record inflation, supply chain crisis, people out of work, not looking for work, no income raises, and, and all kinds of economic trouble that trickle down to everybody's individual pocketbook, Yep, right? So you can see it. You right. can feel it.
2: And the Washington Post
1: was talking about this. It had an article that
2: says that Biden has underestimated problems facing the country, and Democrats fear that has become a political problem. Well, you say. You don't say. When their messaging is like... On the 4th of July, they're like, hey guys, actually you might save six cents over last year, which is an absolute lie. And things have gotten so much worse. So much worse.
1: Well, this is the dumb fuckery that we've been dealing with forever, right? And conservatives occasionally get themselves into this dumb fuckery as well, which is you have an economic crisis. What you do is just send money to people. Just blow, blow a hole in your deficit. Send money out and the economy will recover. What we know now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is not only does that not work, it, the reverse is true. Right. It kills the economy. It kills production. It hurts employment. It hurts basically everything to do with American life. You know? I mean, this is not a debate worth having any longer. The next time that somebody tells me that tax cuts are bad for the economy, I'm going to tip over the desk. Because the tax cuts that Trump put together in 2017... Led to a record economic expansion. Yeah, jobs, wages, all everything you can think of, as good as it can possibly get. Democrats get in trouble. They want to roll all that back. They want to spend their way out of the crisis.
0: Well, have a look, folks. Yeah, I mean, what's the point of sending you a six hundred dollar check
1: if inflation eats into all of that and more? Like <laughs> it doesn't work in one paycheck, right. right? I mean, you just have one trip to the grocery store and that you blow through that, right? Yeah, it's,
2: it's bad news. And here's, uh, here's, here's further proof of, of how rising costs have hit Americans' pocketbooks. Uh, a study has found that nearly half of Americans plan to cancel subscriptions over rising costs, the, the, like streaming services. It says most 80% cite the rising cost of services simply not being worth it. Similarly, the same number agree they simply don't enjoy the content enough or their favorite program is no longer available. Three and four respondents say they've had too many technical problems with their streaming devices, while two thirds feel the product is too difficult to use or navigate. I mean, this is a great point, honestly. Like, I know a lot of times uh, over over the past few weeks, I might have a random movie that, you know, I'll, I'll have some over. I'm like, hey, have you ever seen this film unavailable on a streaming service? And these are like, you know, very common films like Train Spotting. You know, you can't stream Train Spotting. No, I didn't know That's that. That's insane. That's not so that can be like, oh, you know, it's a
0: very specific problem, smoke.
2: Well, yeah, well, I mean, you know, if someone hasn't seen train it's a fun, fun click, you know. It is, um, they're, but depressing, like, well, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of. The ending can be kind of optimistic, um, but like, even I can't remember which uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film I was trying to see the other day, you can't, can't be found on streaming services. It's insane, like, all that's become is like Netflix will find some like random show, they'll hype it, and then no, no, you know, they just want to build like a critical mass of attention. And then it's gone. Like there's no blasting
1: entertainment. Yeah, hundred percent. I blame Obama. Him and that uh, podcast
2: he's doing with Bruce Springsteen is
1: garbage. <laughs> a failure, a failure of a podcast. But one thing that we can actually enjoy, guys, fast food chains are getting into the booze business. And
2: how this is this this looks awesome in my opinion.
1: So Arby's, which for those of you who don't have an Arby's in your area, the big beefy cheddar was legit back in the day. <laughs> I mean that sucker was ground. That onion bun, you remember that thing?
2: I do. I remember that.
1: Oh, it's fantastic! You get the you get the Arby's sauce with it.
2: And again, my favorite thing, hands down, is is the uh, curly fries. Oh, the curly the fries! The curly fries they are were awesome.
1: Like, they were like the the OG of curly fi- of curly fries. But now, apparently, not just the the food, they're getting into uh, two limited edition alcoholic drinks. They're calling it Arby's curly fry vodka and Arby's Crinkle Fry Vodka. Uh, officials said both vodkas taste like their namesakes. The tr- Curly Fry Vodka has cayenne, onion, and garlic. And the Crinkle Fry has kosher salt and sugar. The potato-based liquor will de- debut in November, available in a handful of states. I want that Curly Fry Vodka so bad. So bad.
2: If, if it actually tastes like it, I, I, I'm going to clean out. In our do you, do you think you chase
0: it with ketchup, or how do how do you go about this? Oh, that'd be
2: interesting idea. <laughs> like a
0: pickleback shot.
2: That that is. Oh, look, you know, we got to get our hands on a bottle. We got to do the taste test. We got to get gotta our hands up on with a some bottle. Some cocktail recipes. You know, do you stir in some ketchup? <laughs> I mean, who knows what you could do with. This well, you
1: could make a Bloody Mary with
2: it. I mean, imagine the Bloody Mary. Yeah, It'd be a Bloody you Mary. You know, that's a good idea. That's bu- that's brilliant.
1: So, if anybody knows where to find these, we'll take them. A, uh, an Ari's curly fry vodka, Bloody Mary. We'll do it on camera because I think we need to find out how this works. I'm 100% here for that. Uh, we should also get into the alcohol business, fellas. Yeah, seriously. I'm just saying, point. you know, <laughs> if you're interested, call us. because it seems like that's the one really uh, stable business this this time of year. Right.
0: It's it's time to not just be a consumer, but a supplier (laughs) of of a beverage we enjoy.
1: Speaking of vodka, you're going to need a little to wash down the new set of of Biden nominees that are coming down. And what specifically? I mean, the vodka would pair perfectly with that nominee. I don't know, but you're going to need. Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) And and you're definitely going to need to be shit faced when you hear this lady. Do we have audio?
2: And here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? Oh, I mean, first off, the message that, you know, once you decipher through the Russian accent is we want uh The oil industry to go bankrupt. We want all those people out of their jobs. Oil,
1: gas, and coal industries, energy supplying in this country, she wants bankrupt. Now, this person, Saul Omarova, who has been nominated by the Biden administration to be comptroller of the Treasury. Yes. So in a time of record inflation... They have nominated, I I don't know where the hell she's from. uh, Count Chocula cereal is coming your way about the monster for breakfast today.
2: we got a Count Chocula reference. Incredible. They nominated Count Count Chocula. Yeah. (laughs) Can I get one more? Count Chocula cereal is coming your way about the monster for breakfast today. (laughs) The monster for breakfast <laughs> and it's an excellent cereal honestly count Dracula it's excellent top Com- tier.
0: comptroller of the treasury
2: uh, and honestly count Dracula do a far better job the the I actually do I I looked into this nominee Saul Omarova from Kazakhstan and attended Moscow State University on the Lenin scholarship <laughs> not, you're oh, kidding me I'm not in charge of up. our economy and, yeah they, they're like Hey, you know what let's, let's put it where the money is this this nominee is insane um Republican senators have been trying to get their hands on the thesis she refuses to turn it over uh, because she, at Moscow State University she wrote a thesis on Marxism oh like my God. you <laughs> cannot come up with you, you can't make this up and uh, uh, the, the name of the thesis was Karl Marx's economic analysis and the theory of revolution in the capital and yeah let's let's put that person in the I, Treasury I, I
1: literally I breathtaking i don't know what to say about this
0: what comptroller of the treasury and she's talking about bankrupting industries
1: but she's done her thesis on marxism yeah right and, and and
2: the suggestions that she's had of like she she thinks uh individuals shouldn't have private checking accounts the money can just be stored at the fed no banks yeah just like oh you Eliminate know banks. Listen, just let the government have all your money you know come on kind of makes sense yeah d- it, she is that nutty that nutty, that well, nutty.
1: I mean, so obviously we need to sink this lady, right? Right. Um, there's at least three Senate Democrats who have raised some concern with her. Uh, can you imagine? There's 47 who haven't. <laughs> yeah. 47 who think this is the way to go. This this absolute disaster.
2: So this is from uh, a Bloomberg. Businessweek article on it. It says Republican lawmakers raised the specter of a Soviet-style takeover of the finance system. Leaning partly on an academic paper, Omarova wrote, imagining a new role for the Federal Reserve as a kind of public bank. And uh, they asked pointed questions about her biography. Namely, she went to Moscow State University, had a thesis, um, had had the Lenin Scholarship, and wrote a thesis about Karl Marx. <laughs> T-O is
1: coming your way about the monster for break, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to be able to see this name without thinking of Count Chocula. And, and 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 how are
2: how are some Dems coming to her defense? As of course, they're saying because she's from Kazakhstan. Uh, Republicans are attacking a woman of color, immigrant. Oh, Jesus. They're playing the woman of color for for Kazakhstan?
1: I mean, wait a second. That, after all she's said and done, this is a racial issue? It it
2: can't be about, you know, wanting the Federal Reserve to take everyone's money and uh, going to Moscow State University on the land scholarship, which is, which, I mean, I think also this solidifies the whole thing that, like, the whole lib, you know, Russian disinformation, BS, was all just garbage to attack president trump it was we as we now know none of it was based in fact none of it was based in reality they just brought up this like cold war madness of oh putin's trying to take over meanwhile <laughs> they're like let us get the all-star <laughs> from moscow state university on the lenin scholarship to uh come bring our ideas to the treasury such as have the federal reserve take
1: everyone's money like literally this symbol of capitalist democracy the treasury, yeah. and they want the Marxist Count Chocula to run the it, joint. Incredible. Can't believe Let's that. Let's get one more blast on Count <laughs> is coming your way about the for today. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough of it. So we're going to spend some more time on nominees this week, but we thought we'd start with that one. Um, I do want to get to this because NASA announced that they pushed back Trump's moon landing goal. You recall that at the end of his administration, they talked about how... Um, the Trump administration was a goal, right? To to go back to the moon. And a
2: great goal. Right. Great goal.
1: Right. So NASA now is planning on pushing back its return to the moon by at least a year to 2025. Um, And it seems to me like an amazing time to make that announcement because you've got all of these private industries that are making incredible inroads. You have China with the hypersonic weapons. You've got all kinds of countries competing for space uh, dominance, the Trump administration, you know, inventing the Space Force. Now these guys show up.
2: I mean, how much of a genius does President Trump look like establishing the Space Force? And in this uh, political article, they mentioned the Chinese space program is increasingly capable of landing Chinese taikonauts much earlier than originally expected. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, we've got the hypersonic missile that China's developed. There, they've also put up a satellite that folks are saying, you know, I saw a uh, uh, Reports that it's designed with these robotic arms that makes it capable of intercepting and destroying other satellites while in space. So think about that. Oh, you know, we get into a war with China and they've got satellites up there that are crushing our GPS satellites. They're firing off their hypersonic missiles. Meanwhile, you know, the Biden administration is showing, oh, they don't, they don't care about space. That's China's not. Uh, they, they they refer to China's not as an adversary. They're a competitor.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, how about the fact that we can't do what we did back in 1969? Seriously,
2: what happened to this country, you know, actually making bold decisions and and and, and furthering uh, our capabilities? Like, you think about how much technology we have today that just has trickled down from from the space program, from the military. And, you know, it's, it's unbelievable that you'll have people like Bernie Sanders attacking Elon Musk. Who's, who's basically he's doing the job? Bernie Sanders though it, it, so well, it's so, so well. good.
0: I, I saw that on on Twitter that Bernie tweets out. You know, it's about time that the richest, <laughs> yeah. you know, one percent pay their fair share. And Elon Musk immediately replies and he's like, "Oh, I forgot you were still alive." <laughs> <laughs> He did him a better courtesy than he did Ron Wyden the week before that. <laughs> <Yes.
2: pass. laughs>
1: Man, the board's getting some good work today. Yeah, no, it's a heavy board day. It's a heavy board day. But look, I mean, to sum up this whole thing, this administration can't do bold, it can't do big, it can't do inspiring. Its message is. Put just Same as Jimmy Carter, right? Yeah, except the decline. Turn down the heat and put on a sweater.
2: And I mean, it, it, again, just to reiterate the fact that Chinese tycoons are able to accomplish their missions much earlier than originally expected. You've got China with the hypersonic missile. They're building mock aircraft carriers in China. And yeah, bombing them. And, and, and hitting them, which tells you where they're thinking, yeah. where they're forward thinking is at. Unbelievable.
1: It's incredible. You guys want to talk about some animals? Yes. Yeah, some animal news. All right, so it seems like a lot of these stories come out of New Zealand. Like, they got a real animal problem in in New Zealand. I don't know what it is. I've not been to New Zealand. I hear it's a beautiful place. Yeah. But, you know, if you go, just be prepared. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot of these stories that come out of this. This one's from the New York Post that a distressed woman called the cops saying that a possum was holding her hostage in her home.
2: I mean, uh, this article is incredible, right? Uh, It says uh, she calls the police that she's being held hostage uh, and says being threatened by a particularly aggressive possum, which is now being dubbed, quote, the Black Road Ripper, (laughs) referring to the street name on which the incident took place. Uh, Racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I have no idea what the background of that possum is and it says uh the Dunedin central police station i mean of course that's in new zealand the Dunedin police station anyways told local media that they received a report around 11 p.m from a distressed woman who told them i'm being held hostage by a possum the woman told police that she had been unpacking her car after a road trip uh when the possum first attacked i had put my stuff on the veranda and was heading back to my car i heard this rustling she told new zealand news site stuff i thought that's weird And as I was taking stuff from the back seat and something ran up my leg, I pulled it off me thinking it was a cat. And then I saw it was a possum, she said. But the possum wouldn't let up and kept (laughs) charging at her. Jeez. I mean, possum,
0: possums are hideous. They are. They're disgusting animals. I mean, they're scary looking. Could you take a possum? Oh, you could definitely take a possum. Definitely take a possum.
2: I wouldn't want to. They're diseased. They're disgusting. And especially when they have like a, a, a litter of their children on their back. It oh, just looks like frighty. it looks like yeah, a that... boatload of, of rats mm-hmm. just going ham. It's disgusting. Disgusting cute Oh, that
1: is disgusting. You're right. So, a possum thing to look out for when you're in New Zealand. Yeah. Unquestionably. Um this one's for you, Smug. Your boy Beto. Yeah. Speaking of aggressive furries. <laughs> who, who
2: won't who won't leave people alone.
0: That's good. That's the best seg in the history of ruthless. That is a great segue.
2: Beto O'Rourke, who who the, I think it was the Jacobin who who found the photos of him dressed up in furry attire and posted them in the punk rock band. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so Beto, widely reported as a furry, has officially announced his bid for governor. Incredible. I mean, what a gift,
1: dude. I just I, we're gonna we'll spend more time on this. Because it's just he's he's just insanely awesome to talk about because he's so dumb.
2: He is. Absolute moron of a guy.
1: He's so dumb. But immediately, like the first thing he does is double back down into his mandatory assault weapons buyback yeah. stuff. Remember the stuff that basically just aced him from the presidential he, campaign? He even put out yeah. shirts
2: that said, Hell yeah, we're we're gonna take your AR fifteen.
1: So that's how he kicks off his campaign for governor of Texas. Good luck. Good luck to you, sir. <laughs>
2: And in this segment, Duncan, you should take care of this one, how we are actually memeing things into real life.
0: I mean, we absolutely are. Um, you know, one of our most popular games here on the Variety program, Claim to Fame, um, where we make fun of the RTs of, of White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, has now broken the fourth wall of the program and become reality. I mean,
1: th- <laughs> this is part of the thing with the program, like... We knew it was fine. We knew you guys enjoyed it. The numbers have always gone up. I totally didn't completely appreciate the fact that you can control the narrative.
0: Right. Yeah, so the New York Post, the headline here is Ron Klein retweet Spurs court to slam breaks on Biden vaccine mandate.
1: Unbelievable.
0: The guy's RTs are so hot. He's literally inhibiting his own administration's policy.
2: I mean, and it was <laughs> just, think about, chief. just think about just
0: think about how an incredible self own that is that you would do that to your and, own administration. And, and,
2: the, and the court cited the, uh, a screenshot of, of one of the tweets that he had retweeted.
1: I mean, you're, he's the chief of staff. Your job is to prevent that, right? right? I mean, because every president gets off the rails one way or another. We saw it during the Trump administration. They would cite some of his tweets when they were doing like the, um, like the, the, with the, press called it the Islam ban right which wasn't that but but they were trying to cite his tweets to suggest right. that but your job as a chief of staff in a White House is to prevent anybody from the administration to pr- to provide a court a reason to go around a Department of Justice argument.
2: And it's amazing. So right here in the New York Post article, it says a September 9th retweet from Klein was cited as a key piece of evidence in the blistering ruling issued Friday by the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, which paused President Biden's sta- quote, staggeringly overbroad rule forcing COVID-19 vaccines on millions of American workers.
0: So basically what he what Klein did here, uh, and this is from the story as well, is the three... Uh, the three-judge panel pointed to Klain's retweet of a post from MSNBC anchor Stephanie Rule So She's great. She's popping up again. Oh, so man. great. Just um, Uh Who praised Biden's mandate enforced by the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration as, quote, the ultimate workaround to avoid sticky constitutional challenges. <laughs>
1: so amazing. So, so here's the thing. Courts don't do the workaround. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, they use intent. And, and like
2: I, I say again and again, the the MO of this administration has been like, do whatever you want, even if it's illegal, until a court stops us. And like <laughs> yeah. they, they they went Overboard, like Klein was kind of trying to spike the football, being like, We hey, yes, we are cheating, yes. we're cheating,
0: and we're proud of it. Like, right. yeah,
2: good point, Stephanie. Rule this is how we get around the court, <laughs> and then the court said no, <laughs> it's just absolutely incredible. I mean, you never want to see one of your tweets cited in a federal court, like, no, you that just sure seems don't. like a bad situation. You
1: sure don't, but really, if you think about it you can thank the Ruthless Variety Program for ending a mask
2: mandate. And, and, and you know you know what I love about this right here is that, uh, uh, you know, it says, Circuit Judge uh, Kurt Engelhart characterized the retweet as a White House, quote, endorsement of the term workaround. Mm. So, folks, retweets are endorsements. Like, that is now, <laughs> that now case for, law.
0: That has been on Twitter a, a, a point of contention since the platform began, RRT's endorsements. And a lot of people have pointed this out. I mean, now we have actual case yeah, law that
1: RTs retweets are in fact an endorsement of the view. Amazing, <laughs> just amazing. Oh God! Well, we gotta play a game, fellas, before we get to our interview. What are we gonna play? We are playing demo journal. Oh, it's been a Dem-O-Journo, while. Demo journal. Demo Journo.
0: Demo Demo journal. Nobody knows.
1: <laughs> Again, that's it's way too long. It's way no, too long. nowhere near long enough. I we think it's probably, perfect. Should probably add a few.
0: Um, so, demo journal for our new listeners here. Um, I will read four statements to Holmes and to Smug. Uh, three of which are from journalists, and one is from a Democratic operative. And they have to decide which one is the operative.
2: Which is so tough.
0: It's tough. It's, it's tough just, to tell.
1: It's impossible. It's the toughest game we've got.
0: Nobody sure. knows. Nobody as, knows. As the Nobody song knows. as the song says. So, um, let's get right into it here. Statement number one, and all of these are themed on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, because uh, there oh, were a lot, oh a lot of takes, a lot of takes out there.
1: Legendary.
0: Yeah. Statement number one. I wonder what the verdict would be in the Rittenhouse trial if the defendant were a black 17-year-old from another state who killed two people with an illegal assault weapon. Oh, my
1: good God.
2: Ah, oh. Can you read that one more time? I
0: wonder what the verdict would be in the Rittenhouse trial if the defendant were a black 17-year-old from another state who killed two people with an illegal assault weapon. (laughs) I'd point out that uh, today the charge of a quote-unquote illegal assault weapon was thrown out of the court. So good work on that take. Statement number two kyle rittenhouse testified in his murder trial yesterday breaking down in tears as he told the jury he murdered two people at a black lives matter protest last year in self-defense
1: murdered that was used murdered i mean that's that's literally what the trial's about Uh (laughs) just uh, fucking believable
0: Okay. It's a, I, just as a side note here, I, I think it's really interesting that the people who talk about justice all the time seem to really only support, like, mob justice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the trial itself is an afterthought. <clears throat> Statement number three. That's a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse, and it says, This kid has the great good fortune of a de facto defense attorney on the bench. And that is a reference to the judge in the trial who, you know, I think the, the media and the liberals can see the writing on the wall that, you know, it's likely that Rittenhouse is found not guilty. And so now they've made a boogeyman of the judge.
1: Mm. This is going to be
0: so hard. This is going to be hard. Yeah. Statement number four. Again, this is another one. About the judge, he sounds like he's watched too much Bill O'Reilly. He's acting like Archie Bunker in there.
1: Wow!
2: <laughs>
0: they're talking about the judge. The judge, the judge in the trial.
1: Uh, oh
2: my god! I, I have, I have uh, a theory. Which one is the Dem? I'm going to, by secret ballot, let, let Duncan know. Okay. All right. Now let's discuss. Ah. Uh.
1: Okay
0: um, so I gave you two like broad takes and then two judge related takes.
1: Yeah, no, I like the mix. I like the mix <sighs> so you know we've talked a lot about the how you how you break all these things down and there's the the Tucker Carlson version that like no self-respecting op- operative would actually say something and sometimes it's true sometimes it's not. yeah
0: Tucker's theory is, that, you know, it, there's some operatives who wouldn't embarrass themselves as much as the media.
1: Right, right. I think that might be true of Archie Bunker with number four. I just feel like, uh, I just, it's hard for me to believe that there's any journalist who would say something like that. And they're, they're shameless, don't get me wrong. But like, I think a journalist has to have said something like this because there's no operative that would,
2: yeah, if it's that bad a take, it tends
1: to be like a journal. Has to be, right? So that's where I came down on four. Smog, you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, for me, I thought that was journal. I think... <sighs> the testified yesterday on the murder thing, mm-hmm. it's framed like a journo. Mm-hmm. Um... It's framed so much like a journal. I feel like it—it—it's it, got to be. But you know, now I have to worry about the judge and the jury.
2: See, I feel like the one that's that called it murder struck me as a very journal maneuver, where a lot of their game is manipulating the use of words to convey what they want people to believe. Yeah, they just insert. Not, yeah, like it's you don't get straight reporting. You're not hearing facts. Like the amount of. Liberty that they take in, in in presenting what happened is always dripping with, with their opinion and the narrative that they need pushed. And the word selection there was no mistake.
1: I agree. I agree. That's, that's where I come down on that. So really, I'm between one and three. Normally, I would say that three has got to be the operative because, you know, like who could say something like that? But... Given where we are in today's state of journalism, I'm kind of hewing towards number one.
2: You think number one is the, the operative? Can you reread uh, one and then reread number three?
0: Number one. I wonder what the verdict would be in the written house trial if the defendant were a black 17-year-old from another state who killed two people with an illegal assault weapon. And number three is... This is a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse. This kid has the great good fortune of a de facto defense attorney on the bench.
1: Oh man, this is hard. <clears throat> this is really hard. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that number three is the journo and number one is the operative. So so my theory is number three is the operative.
2: And my thinking behind this is I think a lot of the left seeks to undermine judges and the law as much as possible it's it's their core belief right now which is why you see one of their main like goals being okay get rid of uh the filibuster and 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 pack the courts you know they want total control and they don't want you know sticky things like laws in the constitution getting in the way and they try to undermine judges because it's telling on themselves they see judges not as someone who is there to enforce rules but an activist right because they want, you know, a lot of their legislating to be from the bench.
0: Right. What they consider justice is just punishing their enemies.
2: Bingo. That's, that's right. you nailed it. So that's why I felt number three was Well, I operation.
1: think that's a good guess. I, I, I think that's I it's hard for me to to go against that. I'm saying number one because it's just the Tucker Carlson rule.
0: Yeah. Well, smug is right. It's number uh, three. He's, wow. he's
1: dominating that. That's There's fantastic.
0: David Axelrod. In there uh, with statement number three. Statement number one was Jeffrey Toobin.
1: Oh well, same thing. Democratic (laughs) operative.
0: The (laughs) the uh, also world beater. He's back. He's back on CNN.
1: Yeah, I noticed that... after they, his ma- masturbatory scandal on no, I, Zoom, I noticed that they put him firmly behind the desk. They <laughs> he doesn't have his he doesn't have his typical side view where you can catch legs.
0: That'd be traumatizing it's, for it's, some people. Well, you never
1: know what's going on there.
0: Well, I I have to also uh, read this other thing from uh, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> uh, he said the good news for Kyle Rittenhouse is that he's not on trial for being an idiot. <laughs> it's like. Dude, read the room. Do you know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> the guy who masturbated on Zoom with his colleagues and is now back on national television, wants to call other people idiots.
2: Unreal. unreal. <laughs> so so, so one is Tubin, who is number two?
0: Uh two was CBS Mornings. Yeah. Tweeted out. Murdered. Yeah, the Kyle Rittenhouse murdered two men.
2: Walter Crockett was CBS, right? Yeah. Look at that. I look mean, at that. Look how how that industry has just fallen.
1: Edward R.
0: Murrow. Quality and the uh, he sounds like he's watched too much Bill O'Reilly. He's acting like Archie Bunker in there. Was Jim Acosta?
1: Aww. Oh, there we go. A
0: real quality performance by CNN today in Demo Journal.
1: It really was fantastic. All right, let's play her out of that Demo Journal.
0: Journal. Nobody
1: knows. All right. So we're going to get to the interview here. This is can- Catalina Lauf and she's a candidate in Illinois. Apologize a little bit for the audio. She's on the road trying to meet as many, many voters as she can. So she was on a cell phone. So you can kind of tell that the audio is a little bit uh, sketchy there. We're going to try to do our best, but I think you'll enjoy the interview. I want to welcome you to the program. A very interesting woman, Catalina Lauf. She's a candidate for Congress in Illinois. Where exactly we're going to get a better idea from her. But when we initially talked to her about coming on the program, she was the announced challenger to Adam Kinzinger. Uh, Since then, he's obviously been bugged out of the race by Catalina. He decided to, to drop out. But then they've got all kinds of different redrawing of lines in Illinois that I want to talk to her about. But first, welcome to the program
3: thanks so much for having me I'm excited to be on with you guys.
1: Yeah no this is great. this is great we, um, we like to cater to a, a younger demographic and there's certainly uh, not a lot of candidates that represent a younger new generation of leadership uh, more than yourself so you know look this is these are exciting times they
3: are they are
1: are you um let, let's just get to the where you're running and and what's going on. I, I know when you filed, you were running against Kinzinger. He since stepped out, but now with all this redrawing, do you know exactly what district you're running in?
3: Well, so first of all, you know it was fun to be able to see Adam pretty pretty much bow out and cower down to where I think he believed he didn't really see a political future, because the reality is. You know, a lot of the area where we're running in the northern Illinois uh, suburbs and even central Illinois outside of Cook County, it's all very Republican. And even with the gerrymandering, that was completely I mean, if you look at the maps, it is one of those that you'll see in the history books of just how. Horrible the Democrats gerrymandered, even with the governor saying he wanted independent maps, he wanted a fair uh shot for, for both sides. I mean, these these districts look ridiculous and they've always been that way. But to be honest, again, outside of the Cook County area, all of the excerpts and even more of the agricultural area are are pretty Republican. You know, these were all seats that weren't for Trump, certainly in 2016. Uh, and few did go for President Trump in 2020 and are ultimately pretty Republican at heart when you look at the data, regardless of how they shifted things around. So, uh, number one, I wanted to make a point about Adam, where, you know, he spoke a ton about leadership and just rising to the occasion and just how much bravery and courage he had in the party. But the second the lines aren't a completely favorable to him, not only because we were we came in and, and had already raised over over a million dollars in in challenging him, so he knew he didn't have a shot. But even the way things are now, a Republican can still win. So it just proves that you know he he knew he didn't have a political future there. So. In terms of where we're running, uh, we there will be an update coming up shortly. We're still looking at all the data there. Uh, but ultimately, we know that these districts are flippable and we are 100 percent committed to flipping a seat. Oh,
1: no, that's great. That's great. So this is kind of a work in progress is what you're saying. I, I don't think they've finalized any of the lines yet, but you're you're watching it closely, fair to say.
3: Absolutely. And uh, especially after what we saw in Virginia and New Jersey, you know, all of these seats are incredibly competitive, no matter where you are, even if you're in a deep blue state like Illinois, because of just how far left the progressives are going, what's on the table now in terms of the kitchen table issues that, that people are really concerned about. And these are not Republican or Democrat issues anymore. I mean, these are every day preserving not only the American family and worker but also just our country and the values and i think we saw that especially this last election in virginia and new jersey where you know these seats climbed 16 points i mean that is crazy to think about Uh, and and i'm really encouraged by that in in especially in deep blue states like illinois uh, republicans have a fighting chance absolutely
1: yeah, no question about it. I mean, you mentioned Virginia and New Jersey from a couple of weeks ago. You know, we just had polling over the weekend that showed a, a 10 point advantage for Republicans in a generic ballot, which, you know, mm. look, it was a record in the history of the poll, <laughs> of the history of the poll, which is like 35, 40 years. So we must be doing something, right? You certainly are, are involved in a good cycle to run. I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your background and how you got interested in all of this. I know. You worked for President Trump in the Department of Commerce. But before that, like, how did you get active in politics? How how did you know this is something you wanted to do?
3: Yeah, good question. And I, I believe that, you know, everybody kind of has their own weird path to where they are. And I certainly am somebody that had a weird path to get there. I, you know, I grew up in a small town and again, very Republican. I was involved in some campaigns just growing up. I've always loved politics as a, uh, a passion. I was passionate about the economy and, and history and, and all that growing up. And, I went to school and you know joined college Republicans, did all that, but then had that uh, kind of identity crisis of, uh, but am I ever going to be successful in politics? You know, As we know, all you right. don't make a lot of money in it. And uh, it was just something that I, I didn't know if I had to preserve it as a hobby or if I wanted to actually have a career out of it. And so, of course, I took the logical route and I joined the private sector. I worked in the private sector uh, for a, a good chunk of time. I was at Uber corporate, so helping on a lot of the community engagement and uh, public policy side of Uber, which at the time uh, was just coming up. This was, you know, pre-IPO, pre-where it is today, and uh, really saw just the, the challenges between what government can do when they want to overregulate the private sector, and for me, especially working at at the time it wasn't a it, uh, it wasn't a startup anymore, but I've always loved also startups, and I thought that there was a huge gap and a huge need for people in business to understand uh, the the political side and how regulation, overregulation, and taxation really does hurt uh, companies, small, medium to large, and and so. Ultimately, I, you know, your passion always calls you back. And during that time was when President Trump kind of rose to, to power. And that was during the time that uh, the Republicans were going through were we're going through this huge identity crisis. And for myself, being a conservative, I didn't identify with the Mitt Romney and kind of this elitist establishment class of Republicanism. So for me, politics was really tough to be uh, in love with at that time, just because I didn't really identify with with a party. And then Trump came up and, you know, having grown up again in the small town, just to try to, to tie it all back together is, you know, I saw the struggles in my, my local area. I saw companies shutting down I saw what happens when you have an administration that, again, doesn't understand small business owners and, and the American worker and how their policies directly impact that. I saw our area really be part of that kind of forgotten men and women um, coalition that President Trump really talked a lot about. And and again, also my, my family being from uh, Central America, my mother's side, uh, just how To the detriment, some of the Democrat policies were when it came to immigration and incentivizing illegal immigration, and so with all of that combined, uh, when President Trump came up, uh, I was I was like, wow, this guy gets it. You know, for being uh, a successful businessman, he really understands just the everyday forgotten men and women. And so I joined, I got back into the political space, and then ultimately. Uh, was appointed to the Trump administration at the Department of Commerce, which was a great experience. I was able to, to really marry the political side with also my love for the startup space. Meanwhile, my sister and I started a company through all of that. And I, it's something that we're continuing to do. So it's, it's been a weird road. But again, your passion always calls you back and never thought I would run at all my gosh, I was always the one that was like, (laughs) absolutely not. I, I'd rather, you know, critique politicians and ever become one. But here I am. And life kind of uh, put me into onto this path now. And I couldn't be more grateful for for where I'm at.
1: Yeah, it's funny. funny how life works out, right? You never envision exactly the place that you you find yourself, but you you make the most of it. What I find so fascinating about you, Catalina, is that you were you were someone who was like a Republican, right? Because because you know, I, look, I've been a, I've been active in politics now for very, but I was the furthest thing from a college Republican, and in in large part because. You know, I didn't see anybody like you running around college Republican circles when I was in college. Right? This is not to me. This is not the cool kids club when I was there, but it must have been when you were.
3: You know, it, it, yes and no, uh, I will say. <laughs> recruitment went up by 150% when I was recruitment chair because I made sure I, I didn't bully anybody into it. But I was like, look, we, we have to we have a country to save. This was after uh, Obama was in office. We were there during actually when Romney was president. And what was great was, or sorry, ran for president. What was great though, is that I went to Miami, Ohio and o- Ohio being such a swing state and just kind of this, the battleground of where all the action comes in. It was really cool to be a part of, uh, college Republicans in a battle state and being a battleground state and being able to be a part of that. I don't know if I would have done that in Illinois or if had I gone to school in any other case, I would also say, you know, I was so bad in school. So it was a good way to kind of put my passion and where I actually wanted to be and do and put that energy there. So, uh, (laughs) it saved me. It probably, it probably it probably was the reason why I graduated, honestly, college Republicans in a lot of ways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all have our thing. We all have our right. thing. <laughs> through. Um, well, what's interesting about your story and what I guess what I take away from it, we all sort of arrive at the Republican Party from from different places. But what's clear from your perspective is that you've got a, a heavy entrepreneurial point of view and, and, and a free economy point of view, which is obviously under complete attack by the Biden administration, but, but you grew up, your, your dad was a a small business guy, right?
3: Yes, absolutely. Had so many different businesses and growing up, you know, from selling honey to, uh, more of the technology space that, that he's in, uh, it, it, I've kind of just always grown up around that and always loved, Free enterprise, and I was always told from a very early kind of childhood, is that the reason why companies are able to thrive is because of a free enterprise system.
1: Hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, it's interesting how you get here, but now, but now that you're on the stage, I mean, you're representing a new generation of leadership in a lot of different ways, uh, without you know sort of asking for it. But clearly, we've seen and we've interviewed on Ruthless an awful lot. Of young Hispanic Latino Latina uh, uh, men and women across the country have decided to step up for the Republican Party and get involved, in large part because they're entirely disgusted with the idea that the Democrats have tried to to make a narrative in this country that there's no place in the Republican Party for them, or that somehow that liberal progressive policies are 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 coexistent with with Hispanic values, which you know of course is ridiculous. But talk to me a little bit about your view on all that.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, nothing makes me happier than being able to tell a far left progressive, uh, yes, somebody like myself exists. And, you know, being uh, from having a a background like mine, again, my my mom came here from Central America. And, you know, I saw and I've heard stories of just how hard she worked to, to be here. And, And just the the idea of coming to the United States to come to a place where, you know, your your destiny is defined by you and you only. It's not defined by the way a government uh, comports itself or the structure of corruption that we see in places like Central America, where people are living off of a dollar or two a day. A day and, and can never get anywhere. You know, that's the reality that, that my family grew up in. You know, my grandmother picked coffee beans at eight years old and she couldn't go to school because she needed to provide for her family as an eight-year-old. You know, those stories really impacted, um, my upbringing significantly, but also my father's side. Um, you know, he grew up in, he was a Chicago guy, grew up with family in the great depression and just, again, growing up with those stories, to be able to combat this left narrative of, well, because you're young or because you're Hispanic or because, you know, whatever identity they want to put on uh, people or labels to be able to combat that with real life experience and, and just upbringing is nothing makes me happier. And I think people need to be able to, say everybody has their own story and it all comes down to values, which we've seen that progressives really don't have a lot of values. You know, they, they go off and talk about progressivism and this utopia that they want to create AOC and the green new deal and trillions of dollars, but they don't understand, you know, the, the foundation of, of a, what makes America great and why immigrants wanted to come here um, legally. It's because we, (laughs) my, my family Cared about things like law and order. Now the left wants to destroy that. Right. They cared about family values. The far left wants to destroy the family in a lot of ways, and then ultimately economics, and uh, they after our economic system through kind of these culture wars, and it, as well trying to create this wokeism and this young progressive generation of you know wokeism, for lack of a better term, that ultimately is trying to destroy the free enterprise system. So. It's really, it's great to be a part of kind of this new wave of young people. And, and we're really living through uh, historical times when it comes to the cultural shift in our country. And, I, and I, every time I talk to somebody whose uh, family came here, even from Eastern Europe or Central America or Cuba or Venezuela, you know, those people really understand what's at stake if we allow okay. kind of these far left progressives to, to take over and, and what they want for our country. So it's very exciting. Uh, I've been told a lot of times I've been called a coconut. Uh, I've heard terms on Twitter. I've never even understood <laughs> until I ran for office, uh, because it makes them mad. It makes them mad that we cannot, they can no longer say, Oh, Republicans are the party of old white men. Uh, it's like, hello, we're here and we're not going anywhere.
1: God bless you. Yeah, that's really well said. And I totally agree. Almost everybody that we've had who's first or second generation, who's gotten themselves involved in politics, there's no no greater evangelist for the cause than folks who have seen what socialism has done to them and their families and what that kind of government basically does to the, you know, the the lifestyle of, of people and and how it just destroys lives. Right. And so yeah, no, look, that's great. I'm glad you're doing it. Talk to me a little bit about. I mean, good Lord, we have such a stack of horrible Biden administration policies, you know, whether it's their their spending spree and it has gotten us into the inflation supply chain issues, whether it's the immigration issue with border crisis, Afghanistan for crying out loud. I mean, as you're talking to people on the ground during your campaign, what do you think is, is motivating those voters most?
3: Gosh, all of the above. And I don't think anybody can choose at this point, which one is at the top of their list only because things look darker and darker as this administration progresses. Certainly, uh, the economy is number one, whenever I'm, I'm speaking to folks, you know, they're worried about things like inflation, they're worried about being able to afford, you know, Christmas. And I just saw today, Thanksgiving is supposed to be the most expensive holiday now yeah. with with food going up by 11% in, in uh, prices. And, you know, ultimately, what what I think is the most telling is, These career politicians, whether it's the Biden cabinet, like Pete Buttigieg, who fundamentally does not understand supply chain issues, then takes parental leave for, you know, a certain amount of time and then ultimately doesn't really care about what's going on with the economy. Or even I'm sure you saw today uh, Jen Psaki laughing at inflation. And, you know, this administration, because they're all career politicians, they've they've created They live in a bubble and that they don't understand the American family and the American worker. You know, those supply chains issues really impact all kinds of businesses. It certainly impacted mine and my sisters. uh, And we are, because we're seeing it every day, because we are impacted by it, or even other small business owners in our area or medium sized business owners, whatever you want to, whoever it is, because we see it every day. It's like, yes, these policies or lack of policy impact us and ultimately impact our, our customers. It, when you don't have a product to show, uh, you don't have a, you're not, you're, you're, your customers and the people who are relying on you for your product or your service are being let down. And, and then ultimately you are, you have a bottom line. That's not, uh, you're not where you need to be month over month. And these things really impact us and, and it impacts the country in any way, whether it's manufacturing or whatever industry, I'm just using ours as an example, but, uh, these, this administration doesn't understand that they don't understand the everyday plight of somebody who, wow, food prices went up by 11%. I need to, uh, I need to reimagine what Thanksgiving might look like. Maybe I'm not going to invite 40 people now that I usually do or 20 people or or 10 people. You know, these things matter. And it's very sad. It it just shows that these people have never worked a day in the private sector. They've lived their lives so comfortably. And it it goes back to just this elitist, uh, this elitism in this political class that the everyday American now is fighting against, you know, yeah. they need a push back the same thing with critical race theory. That's another huge topic that is really impacting our schools. When you're calling, you know, kids racist at eight years old, when they don't even understand, uh, you know, basic <laughs> human principles in a lot of ways, or, or history or anything, and you're sitting there and trying to shove this BS down their throat. And, uh, on top of that, we're calling parents, uh, racist or calling parents, whatever names they want to call us now, call them now, you know, those things really impact voters and, and those things are personal to a lot of people, even the mandates, Mm -hmm. uh, the vaccine mandates, the forced, forced vaccine mandates, uh, regulation, over-regulation, Things like that really matter. Also, again, not to be long winded here, but the border crisis is massive, even in a state like Illinois, that's not a a border state. You know, the illegal immigration still impacts all states, uh, no matter not only economically, economically, but also from a law and order perspective. So you put all of that together, you combine all of those issues, the pull out of Afghanistan, uh, everything else that's going on. You have a massive uh you have a massive buffet of things to be upset <laughs> about and and I really think it's gonna they're they're pushing way too far left now
1: no question no question well said it's a good rundown we we struggle to try to keep up with it all in the program because it feels like they've touched absolutely nothing that hasn't turned into a Catastrophe since Joe Biden was inaugurated. But but I want to lighten things up here a little bit. We got three big questions we ask everybody. And uh it gets to know you a little bit, Catalina. So for the first question is if you can choose your last meal on earth, what would it be? Oh no. <laughs> what do you think? You got me any- oh, yeah. tough. You have any- yeah. If I, mean, I you see
3: cheese pizza, one. does that make me <laughs> so <No>. basic so, and <laughs> weird?
1: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is no. Yeah, wrong it's got to be cheese are, pizza, Probably are, deep dish, okay. or <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So is that like <laughs> okay. a? Uh, do you have a place? I you know, don't. Cheese
3: pizza, such a. a to- but I could live on that. I really could. Oh, good. It's a thin crust, but I could also do. I could crush an entire deep dish pizza probably by myself. So.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, second question. If you never got into this, if you never got into politics at all, you know, this is a little different for you because you're obviously uh, operating a small business. So we know professionally what you're doing. But if you weren't at all interested in politics, what would you dedicate your time to doing?
3: That's a great question anything that would be helping people. So I really, uh, I actually, before all of this, I I wanted to go back to school to be a a mental health coach and a, a mindset coach. I'm, I love encouraging people. I love just being a part of the journey to people fulfilling their potential and, and also helping, you know, I think, uh, mental health is, is a huge, uh, topic that, uh, you know, could have its own, Uh, hour dedicated to it now that we won't get into, but it's certainly so important. And um, it's something that I think, especially from a policy perspective too, uh, you know, there could be a lot of work done on all different sides. So definitely mental health coach, mindset coach, something that I'd be helping people with.
1: I like that. That's good. That's different. That's different. I like that. Um, All right. So this last one goes to what motivates you more? And the two poles of this are you're either motiva- motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony <laughs> of defeat. And the way to think about it is the, the sunny optimist charging up the hill is the thrill of victory person. And like mm-hmm. Michael Jordan is the agony of defeat person, right? Somebody who just like has this burning anger at the mere thought that somebody could overtake them at anything they're doing.
3: <sighs> okay, I will go with. I'm an optimist, but I will say the agony of defeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so- I always left the line pain lets, you know, you're alive. And, um, I think you learn the most, uh, when you're at your lowest and going through those challenges and building that fortitude, uh, I think is, is way more rewarding to the human mind in the long run than the thrill of a one-time victory
1: very well explained catalina very well explained. that that is a that's the best short succinct explanation for an agony of defeat mindset that i think we have. <laughs> program and no and no cheese pizza does not make you basic
3: okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> well listen you got to keep us updated i appreciate first of all where where can we find do you have a website
3: yeah, uh, www.catalinaforcongress.com. I can't believe I put the www. In. I'm so used <laughs> that's to that's
1: actually basic.
3: <laughs> yeah, I <was> like, wow, <laughs> that was so two thousand of me. Uh, and Catalina Lauf on all social media platforms.
1: Perfect. Okay. All right. So you got to stay. You got to keep us updated. If you're in DC, stop in, have a cocktail, uh, and and enjoy the minion because I know they're going to enjoy this interview.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much again for having me.
1: Yep. Take care. So she's great. You know, the thing The thing I like most about candidates like her is the energy and the new perspective that they bring. I mean, we, we truly are in a change environment in terms of new conservative leadership, young conservative leadership. And I think somebody like that really has a lot to say. She destroys all of the Democratic narratives about who we are as conservatives just by showing up in the room. And then she's got just a really powerful pitch.
0: Yeah. It's just nice to see like the next generation of, you know conservative leaders stepping up to the plate
1: and in you know? and,
2: and the environment that we have you know we got the biden administration dems right now have the white house the house the senate and if we get these quality candidates i mean the, we know we've been telling you the red wave is coming and we get we get candidates like that the vanguard i mean this win is going to be big
1: it is it is well listen i've enjoyed it
2: good episode another banger of an episode gentlemen And thank you so much to all our listeners. Our numbers keep going up, and we appreciate y'all so much. So, until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay Ruthless.